0: Late today, Chris Watts was officially charged with the murders of his wife and his two young girls.
3: Remember these words if it doesn't fit, you must acquit.
1: You should do yours next time. Oh, I'll do it right now. Ready? Yeah. <laughs> since I embarrassed Charity last week by doing her warm ups <laughs> she's like you should do yours. And and I did. did. <laughs> What's up?
2: Um guys, not much, much has changed um since we were um on last time. Mark's road is still full of snow and he is still <laughs> calling the town and complaining.
1: Different snowstorm, still uh a day and a half later and it's still not plowed. Yeah.
2: I can attest it's not it's not plowed. It's bad.
1: I called and the lady at the town says that doesn't sound correct. I'm like, the snow on my road says that I am. <laughs> Did she's, you say that? <laughs> yeah. She's like, have a good day, sir. I have was a like, good day, sir. You too. It's just like, come on. Like, I'm going to call and lie about that. I'm not that.
2: Did you post pitches on the on Facebook? No. You have to take pictures so people can see that you're not lying.
1: I already have a built-in not lying. Steve delivers mail down That's my road true. every time. And
2: everybody in the town knows Steve.
1: Yes. They actually really do. He's the man. <laughs> he, it's funny because I threw the, so I thought Kristen had did for me because Michael Wilson had sent us all stuff for Christmas and yep. then sent something that said, Steve Marks mailman. And then Steve just threw it in the box. <laughs> so, right. And I never paid much attention to it because I knew it was his. And I, I said to Kristen, cause I was traveling. I'm like, will you throw that back out in the box? And I thought she did. And then I was cleaning off the, uh, the bar area and I was like, Oh, Oops, That didn't go back in the box, so uh, I threw it in the box. Are they, is this a, it's live, a, a plow live plow right now? It's a live
2: plow right now.
1: They are finally plowing my road.
2: Is it for the, for the town?
1: That is a town truck, It is yes. a town truck.
2: Oh, wow. 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 I'll okay. tell you,
1: Massachusetts does not know how to do snow. No. It is pathetic. But that's neither here nor there. So anyways, <laughs> I looked at the bar, and this letter was still there. So I shoved it in the mailbox, and Kristen's like, you should probably send him a message.
2: And just tell him it's in there.
1: I'm like, you know what? You're right. I will. So I went, uh, hey, Steve, that letter in the mailbox is actually for you from Michael Wilson. And he responds back and goes, oh, good thing you threw it into, uh, you're throwing it into tomorrow. It's my first day back. I was in Florida. And oh. I was like, and I say, you know, kind of funny, like, wink, wink. I was, I thought my mail service sucked this week. <laughs> and he wrote back. He's like, yeah, a lot of people out probably did. And I was like. <laughs> righty.
2: <laughs> I got a good
1: kick out of that.
2: Um, I have, I have something I'd like to throw out into the universe.
1: Uh, sure. What is that? The bathwater? No. Okay.
2: So I am a connoisseur of watching, you know, docu series and movies, and you know, just the things, all the things,
1: all the things. And
2: I think that if anyone out there is a somebody who is a director for a movie or any, anyone who's involved, I think they need to bring Charity Case Watch in for Massachusetts accents because no one ever sounds like they're really from Massachusetts.
1: You know the sad part? This one drives Kristen nuts. Even in the departed. Yes. With people from Massachusetts. Because they, they try too hard. They actively make themselves not sound like not Massachusetts. Not
2: sound like Massachusetts. I could come in and I, they could just say, hey, Charity Case Watch, say this sentence. And I could say, yeah, go pack the car, right? And yeah. then the actor or actress could say it, and then it would be correct.
1: I make Kristen so mad when I do my Boston accent, because I didn't grow up down here, so I don't sound like Boston at all. So I'm like, go pack your car and have it, yeah, See, and she's like, I'm going to kill you. that's what we sound like. like, stop it. I'm like, sounds just like you. No, and we can't even not sound like this, obviously,
2: because not- I tried in the beginning and people still knew.
1: Not only that, it's just like, come on. There's more words for town names other than borough. It's like everything ends in borough. Yeah. Her kid was playing uh, basketball the other night. So we were at his basketball game and we're playing this town that was like something borough. (laughs) And I like look at the guy behind me because I knew he was from the other team. And I was like, where is this? He's like, it's a conglomerate of like five towns. And I was like, so not only now do we make up names, we're also now like naming groups of these groups stupid of towns names. and he looks at me he's like hey it's massachusetts what are you gonna do
2: well and i was it, like he's not wrong you're not wrong <laughs> guys i have a little article i want to read real quick before we get into something that mark desperately wants to talk about
1: i'm like over here scratching my head what do you desperately want to talk about but <laughs> well, i know what you're you don't really
2: about. want to talk about it but so this is from abc news And um, the headline says, Coburger lawyer wants the public to see requests for the judge to rethink dismissing charges. So they're still trying to get the judge to dismiss charges, and they want the public to hear it now. Because at the beginning, everything was sequestered. So, like, did I say that word right? We'll just say you did. Okay. Because they didn't want any of the information getting out of the evidence that they have. Okay? Because they figured it would taint the case, right? You said Taint. I said taint, guys.
1: Yeah. No, no. (laughs) That's a meow. (laughs) Meow. Oh, where's my butt? Does anyone
2: else know what taint means? That's what you said. I'm willing to bet all of the crime creeps know what the word taint means. Okay. All right. I'm just going to go back to the article now. Okay. In a capital murder case that has been marked by sec- secrecy and media restrictions, a lawyer for accused Idaho college killer Brian Koberger is now asking the judge to make public their agreements that he should rethink his decision to deny their ass to toss out the charges. Quote, Mr. Koberger acknowledges the right of the public to be fully informed on, of the issues. His lawyer wrote in a new file uh, filing posted to the docket Tuesday and filed on Friday Koberger's defense has previously made two different attempts to get the indictment against him dismissed. In one, they argued that the grand jury was given inac- inaccurate inaccurate guys instructions, that they used the wrong standard of proof. In the other, they argued that prosecutors withheld evidence that might aid Koberger in defending himself and biased the grand jury. The judge denied both in mid December before Christmas. Koburger's team asked the judge to reconsider that decision, filing a request under seal. Koburger's high-profile case has largely been veiled, um, veiled sorry, in secrecy due to a strict non-dissemination or so-called gag order in place. The defense has repeatedly criticized some media portrayals of their client, and the judge himself has chastised the media for what he called disappointing behavior, filming proceedings by some members of the press. Both Koberger's defense and prosecutors leading the case against him have supported limiting cameras in the courtroom or even banning them. Now, Koberger's lawyer wants the public to know where they stand, at least on this particular matter of asking the judge to rethink the decision to dismiss the charges. This is... You can't have some things that you want and some things that you don't. This is what you want
1: these three things this is, public. Yes. This but is what these nine private.
2: This is what's irritating me about this case. Yes. So, so to me, it sounds like, and I could be incorrect, in my opinion, it sounds like the defense is trying to use the media or wants to use the media to help them. And that is against. Everything, right? Oh, if, yeah. they, if, if there's a gag order, there's a gag order. We don't know what the evidence is. We're not going to know till the trial begins. And I feel like they want the media to hear just these few things. So maybe the media will report and say, oh, you know what? He's not going to get a fair trial. It should get dismissed. And that's not how it works, people.
1: Yeah. I, real quick, I, I can see the look in Charity's eye because she knows I'm 12 and yeah. there's a guy plowing the road. Oh, so God. I'm like intently staring outside watching he <laughs> is. plow is Plow my road. You were, you were talking about what? No, I'm just joking. Oh, my. going back to the taint thing, I had this one chambered every time. There's that <laughs> commercial that comes on. It's something about cancer, and I was like, may cause a uh, an infection in the perineum. I just look at Kristen every time and says, "That's your taint." Just in case you didn't know, she's like, "Yeah, I know." Tell me every time the commercials oh coming on. Oh my god! I'm like, that's to keep me around for.
2: Oh, also, I'm not going to say any names because uh, I don't know if they want us to. But we do have a couple of crime creeps or a major crime creep who has had a family emergency that we want to pray for.
1: Absolutely.
2: Okay, so we're sending that out there. And you know who you are. Mark's looking at his phone right now.
1: Well, I screenshot something the other day because one of our crime creeps posted something. And I was like, you know what? I'm not a guy who likes to go out and do lots of stuff, which is weird because it's all I ever do for work. Right. But Anastasia Davies... Had posted a picture that was more from the 20s night. And like I screenshotted this to make sure I. Oh, yes. That was awesome. They and I commented. I was like, this is badass. Yep. This looks fun. So fun. Tell you, if you're going to be doing one of these like parties, invite me. Mark is down for a roaring 20s party. Mark wants a zoot suit. Zoot suit. Ryan. (laughs) Ryan. I don't know any more of the song. Oh, boy. All right. So let me get into this thing. I have to have to discuss here. So if anybody's watched the news recently, they've noticed that uh, Mr. Baldwin is going to be back in court. He is. But this time, a SAG-AFTRA has weighed in on the matter. They issued a statement Thursday defending Alec Baldwin after the actor was indicted last week for involuntary manslaughter in the shooting death of Rush cinematographer Helena Hutchins. The union argued that Baldwin was not responsible for firearm safety. And that if the prosecution rests on such a responsibility, that is an incorrect assessment of the actual duties of an actor on set. An actor's job is to not be a firearms or weapons expert. Performers train to perform and they are not required or expected to be experts on guns or experienced in their use at all. The industry assigns that responsibility to qualified professionals who oversee their use and handling in every aspect. Baldwin was holding a gun during preparation for a scene when it fired, killing Hutchins and wounding director Joel Souza. Baldwin said that he did not pull the trigger, though the prosecution's forensic experts concluded that the gun could have only been fired after the trigger was pulled. Except the you know last time the expert weighed in, he said that it could fire. Without the trigger being pulled. Right. So I'm kind of confused here. It's like a quandary. Yes. At this point, uh, that was a weird sound. That sounded like that. The beginning of that song. <laughs> I don't know which one it is, but I just involuntarily made that noise. So that somebody go ahead and make that your ringtone message. <laughs> tone. just Mark one.
0: Woo-wah. Oh, my God.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I get one of those for me. I'm quite fed up with this case at this point.
2: It's. Exactly. Why is it still getting dragged on and on and on?
1: Why are they only plowing the other side of the road? I called and complained. All right, guys. Sorry. Mark needs to close his shades. They're not doing my side of the road. We're in a big cul-de-sac, and I'm like the second to last house, so they're doing the entire (laughs) cul-de-sac, except the 20 feet from where my driveway ends to where I can get to the
2: road. Oh, and Steve, I parked in the driveway this time, so... They already came. Oh, whatever. Yeah, Steve
1: is already here. All right. He came, he saw, he left the mail, and took off the other way. Tell you what, though, I got to give Steve credit. I could not be a mail guy. No. I all people do is be included. Bitch, ah, bitch, I like that he said that. Bitch, whine and complain. Like FedEx, though, I will bitch about FedEx. Like, cause that shit never shows up anywhere. It's like, if you order FedEx, you have a better chance of peace on earth than getting a piece of your package delivered to your house. I don't even know how they're in business at this point. But back to Steve. Back to Steve. Back to Steve.
2: Steve is like part of this podcast but at
1: He this is. point. He is. If I ever get around <laughs> to cleaning the studio so we can have another guest in here, I pro- I'll probably invite him in. But delivering mail is no easy feat. And it's kind of funny because my aunt is actually a postmaster and two of my cousins are mail carriers. So like I do know right. how this whole thing works. But- all, he's everywhere. You should have seen him coming. I watched him on the main road, which we won't say what it is to people that don't know where I live, but the road out here and it was barely plowed. And those little 12 inch tires on the mail truck were just shooting snow behind it. I was like, <laughs> that dude does not give up. And I was like, that is awesome. I would have walked outside, done a donut in the parking lot, parked that, jumped back in my truck and went home. So all the credit in the world to all you mail carriers yes, out there. Definitely. This one is for you. Meow. Oh, meow. Yeah. So this whole crap that we keep getting with Alec Baldwin, I don't know how else to say it. You already don't have enough to make a case. You keep grandstanding just to keep your name in the news at this point. Whatever case you have had be, you know, on him, no one's going to convict now because they this has just been dragged on for too long. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. That's my opinion.
2: Oh, do you know it just popped up on my news feed?
1: Oh, that gets nervous. I'm not
2: even going to read it right now because I can't even get into it, but it just says a herring to determine whether Alex Murdoch should be granted a new murder trial begins today.
1: All right. I don't get it. I thought he was just denied a new trial.
2: I don't know. Maybe this was it. just said just popped up now. Hopefully, he, hopefully he doesn't get a new trial.
1: That is a guy I could convict over and over and over again. Yeah. The, a POS.
2: T- way too much evidence in that case. All right. So we agree on the on the uh, Alec
1: Baldwin. Yeah, I just think it's time to move on. Let's go. Whether we like him, dislike him or whatnot, I don't think his intent was to ever no. kill anyone. No,
2: I don't think that was anyone's intent.
1: No, not at all.
2: So I don't know.
1: But Guys, what what do I, I know? I just host a podcast.
2: I mean, yeah. I mean, that's about what we do. <laughs>
1: Oh, my God. My phone will not stop. Like, my little Apple Watch is just dinging. with all spam repeatedly. It's like ding, oh, ding, awesome. ding, ding, ding,
2: They're like, he's recording. Let's send this now.
1: Yeah. My phone's been quiet all morning. Thank you very much. So, uh, programming note, uh, next week-ish, I think. Uh, no podcast because I'll be in Daytona.
2: The week after, the I The week thought.
1: after. Is yeah. it next
2: week or the week after? The
1: week after. So we, they, we have, we're figuring out this upcoming week. Yes. And then after that, Mark has gone to the, to the nice sunshine of Daytona Beach, baby. He is. I'm excited.
2: You know, Mark's job is really interfering in this podcast, guys. I think we should do a petition. No. To make it not interfere.
1: <laughs> hey, you know what? We were going to move the other live show that I do. My boss is like, it's got to be on Tuesdays. And I was like, yeah, no, that ain't going to work.
2: Oh, see? He stood so up for us, guys. I
1: did stand up for us. And he's like, why not? And I was like, because we only have two days to do the podcast. Monday doesn't work because of this job. So with Tuesday, it is. Yep. And he's like, all right, understandable.
2: Yeah, it is. If you need the big guns to come in, the big guns, meaning me, <laughs> to talk to your boss, I would do it. I think I would be, I think he'd be really intimidated.
1: That would be fun. <laughs> Let's do it. We went up to uh, this weekend, me and Kristen went up to West Lebanon, New Hampshire, which was good. Nice. We did one of the banquets for one of our racetracks this weekend, and it was fun. Got to stay in the Fireside Inn up in West Lebanon, nice! which was phenomenal. Had a massaging chair, not a cheap one, like a very, because I sat in it and I was like, this is, this is divine
2: at the at, inn
1: at the in each room of oh. the inn I don't know about the lower what? end rooms i booked them what i was just going to ask
2: if the lower end got
1: massaged my lower end <laughs> got massaged along with the upper end the side end the wide end the sh- <laughs> the, the, the the fat end like so it was everything. fantastic so i just start punching in on the internet i'm like looking at the remote i'm like what kind is this human centric this is nice
2: how much was it did she you it was find-
1: 10000 bucks <laughs> Oh. So one will not so be gracing. You won't,
2: so what you're saying is you will not be getting one of those for the home at no, this they, time.
1: No, they do sell cheaper ones. But this one had this thing. Like you put your feet in it and it like wrapped around your legs. Oh, I know exactly what you're your talking feet. about. Yes. And I was like, this is
2: awesome. That's like, they have those at the mall. And I always find that very odd. Way better than the malls. But I just wouldn't sit in the ones in the malls because I just feel like I how do. many I people. I do. I just don't pay for them. <laughs> I just feel like how many people have sat in there where you could get lice from uh, hairdressers speaking, sorry. You could get if someone had lice and they sat in there and then someone else sat in there right after.
1: How many people do you think sleep in your bed in a hotel?
2: No, I'm talking about it at the mall. Matter. I'm talking about the mall.
1: Yeah, same thing. Do you think that hotel room was just you? Have you seen yeah, but they, the clean job that they don't do in these rooms well, nowadays? I don't know. But so just then saying, i guys tried talking Kristen and I'm like, you gotta sit in this and check it out too. She sat in it, hit the button, like 30 seconds later, she looked up, she's like, eh, not, not for me.
2: Yeah, not everyone's thing.
1: I'm like, that's bullcrap. <laughs> and she's like, sorry, just don't like it. <laughs> but that was the end of my weekend.
2: She's entitled to her opinion, Mark.
1: She looks at me and she says, checkouts at 11. Uh, we have a two-hour ride home do you want to stay till 11? And I was like, absolutely not. I'm ready to go yeah. whenever. Yeah. Two hour like, rides big. Let's go. So we drove back down here. We got about halfway home when this snowstorm started, started. Yep. And then as soon as we hit the mass border, luckily from the mass border to my house in good weather from the New Hampshire mass border in 93 to where we are right now is 22 minutes. That's awesome. Um, Took us fifty two. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, <laughs> to get I know. There from here, I know. And I complained about it the entire time. Yep. Which was awesome. Yep. Because uh, you know Massachusetts people see rain and say, "What's that?" Oh! And they freak out. Yep. It but happens. What did you do? All fun and exciting this weekend?
2: Um, not much. Worked.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's not fun.
2: worked. That was about it. Nothing too exciting, guys.
1: None at all. Did some
2: yarning, you know.
1: Yarning. Although, did you say that on the podcast I I can't remember. I know. I think I might need a hat.
2: Oh, okay. Now he wants a hat, guys, after he said he didn't want a hat. Should I or should I not make him a hat? Do you think he deserves a beanie made by the Charity Case Watch?
1: I'll wear it when we record the show. Yeah. Oh, that'd be the only time he wore it? I did find my really, really nice one that my friend gave me, and I didn't even wear it this weekend. Yeah. And it was cold.
2: Mine's really, 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 really nice because it's handmade.
1: Yeah, I mean, whatever. Someone's hands made the one he got me too. No,
2: probably a machine made it.
1: <laughs> That's actually really nice too. All <sighs> right, endless. let's jump right in here. What do we got going on?
2: So today we are going to be talking about an incident that took place in Canada on a Greyhound bus. So, guys, this I ha- this was on my radar. This particular case because it's bizarre and sad on all angles. The accused, the person it happened to all all sides and more than one crime creep has sent this to me for us to talk about it it's very horrifying so just buckle in everyone
1: and all the crime creeps that sent it to you like why is she not doing this
2: case Pro, i know guys i I know i i read all of your cases guys you never know they could show up months from now so don't worry
1: (laughs) defending charity she's got a lot going on right now i have a lot
2: going on right now guys (laughs) So All as will be to,
1: revealed at some point. Yeah,
2: as everybody, I know everyone's busy, but. So Tim McLean uh, was a 22-year-old carnival barker. I had to ask my bestie, Miss Wiki, what this
1: was. I was just going to ask you. She
2: said, it is simply a person who tries to get others to come to events such as the carnival, etc. So they announce upcoming events, maybe hand out information on such events and like talk them up. I know what I do. It's kind of, it, actually, it is, <laughs> except it's for the carnival. Yeah. So it's just a different wording that they use in Canada. That's funny. We're going to get right into the incident and discuss. Again, a sad one all around, guys. I, like I said, had heard of this one and went down the rabbit hole listening to witnesses that were also on the bus. It's almost too crazy to believe, but it did really happen. Unfortunately, on July 30th, 2008. So, guys, Uh, We are going to play, I think we should play at least a little clip from the witness, a witness or a couple witnesses, just to hear it in their voices because it is absolutely horrifying. Tim hopped on the Greyhound bus number 1170 to head home to Winnipeg. He had just finished up a job working at a fair in Edmonton. The bus took off onto the um, the Yellowhead, a highway moving along through Saskatchewan. Did I say that right, guys? I messed this up before. Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan. Sas-
1: I mean, Saskatchewan.
2: Close. I'm so sorry, guys. He picked a seat um, all the way to the back of the bus near the bathroom. And my, th- I'm thinking that maybe he wanted some peace and quiet, and thought that others might not have wanted to sit near the bathroom. Just a thought, right? So he went down the end there so he could like relax and just wait for his ride home. Yep. At six 55 PM, the bus made a stop in Erickson, Manitoba. It was at this stop that a man named Vince Lee got on. Vince was a tall man with a shaved head that looked to be in his forties. He sat in the front of the bus, unassuming other passengers noticed he was wearing Sunglasses. After stopping at a rest area in Brandon, Vince went and quietly sat next to Tim in the back of the bus. Okay. Right? I wouldn't think that it was odd for passengers to sometimes want to change their seat. Again, maybe Vince was looking for a quieter area of the bus. So, you know, they got off at a rest stop, got back in. I did once,
1: too. Oh, wait. What?
2: Oh, my God. That was a joke. Where's the the thing? That's what she said.
3: That's what she said.
2: (laughs) So, Tim didn't seem to notice Vince at all. He had headphones on, leaning against the window, eventually falling asleep. That's actually what I like to do on long rides. I like to put my headphones on, listen to Case Watch, and take a little nappy.
1: <laughs> I like looking out the window at them, still doing our Guys, road. he's like a little kid. He's but not still even still have listening. not done my section of the road. The whole part Why on my mailbox go out is there? not. Why there? Because I yell at them all the time. Want me to go already. out there?
2: I can do it a little more eloquently. No.
1: No, he's not going to listen. He doesn't care.
2: <laughs> he might.
1: I just find it funny.
2: (laughs) So, uh, things got scary quickly. Witnesses said that Vince suddenly had a knife in his hands. It seemed as if it appeared out of nowhere. He was enraged and began stabbing Tim violently in the neck and chest. You can imagine the fear the other passengers and the driver were feeling as this was happening. The driver of the bus quickly pulled off the side of the road and instructed everyone to get off the bus. Well, everyone but Vince and and Tim. I can only assume that Tim looked as if he was already dead. But that didn't stop the driver. And, the, and two passengers, um, to tr- they tried to get Tim to safety. They were unable to do so because Vince chased them off the bus, slashing at them with a knife from inside the bus. So they tried, but they probably figured, let's save all these other passengers because this crazed man is already, unfortunately, it looked as if Tim was already dead. Unfortunately,
1: there's times, unfortunately, when the decision has to be made: yes, the good of one or the good of many, and it's not one anybody wants, to right? Make, and it's not one that I ever want to have to be no. put into this position for, but it happens. And can
2: you imagine how crazed that, how crazed Vince looked, holding a Ooh. knife with Tim's blood all over it? I just, oh my gosh! Uh, he kept violating the dead body; he oh. didn't stop. He successfully decapitated him, then carried the head to a window and showed it off like a prize to everyone outside. Oh, my God. Then went back to the body and cut other parts off eating them, guys.
1: Eating them. That is disgusting.
2: At 8.30 p.m., calls to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police started coming in explaining what was going on. When the police arrived on the scene, they were met by mayhem. Vince was still on the bus. The bus driver, a passenger, and a truck driver who had stopped used their force to push against the door, keeping the madman inside, using a crowbar and a hammer as weapons if need be. So a nice truck driver saw what was going on, stopped. These three men with all their might were risking their life to hold that door shut so that this crazed man stayed inside. At one point, Vince tried to drive the bus away, but the bus driver was able to use the emergency immobilizer system to keep the bus from driving. That's awesome. I have to say, it seems like the bus driver did as much as he possibly could to save most of the passengers from danger, right? He jumped right into action. The police saw the remainder of the passengers standing together, many of them crying from what they had just seen. Some of them were even throwing up from the horror. Oh, my gosh. I probably would have been throwing up, too. It's horrible. Around 9 p.m., the police had negotiators come to try and talk Vince into surrendering. A SWAT team had also arrived in case they were needed. Law enforcement watched as Vince paced paced up and down the bus with a bloody knife, then head back to what was left of Tim's body to eat some more. Wait, what? He just kept pacing back and forth and then going back to the body and cutting more parts off and eating it. That's and everybody, everybody who was looking in could see this. I, I would never be the same after this. I No. Just,
1: oh. How could you?
2: This went on through the early morning of July 31st, 2008. At about 1.30 a.m., Vince tried to escape through one of the bus windows. Police were able to taser him twice, handcuff him, then arrest him and put him in the back of a cruiser. The parts of Tim's body that were left were gathered and put into plastic bags. Oh. Part of his heart and his eyes were never found. It was assumed that Vince ate them. Oof. One of his ears, his nose, and his tongue were found in Vince's pocket. Not sure why he felt the need to hold on to them. I don't were they
1: Wait. In his pocket? In his
2: pocket, you guys.
1: What is wrong with people?
2: Everyone uh, that had been on that bus was brought to the Brandon Police Department to be interviewed along with everyone else on the scene. First responders said they had heard Vince yell, I have to stay on the bus forever. Around 10 a.m. that same morning, Greyhound sent someone to uh, not only transport the passengers to Winnipeg, but to also bring them to a store to replace the clothes they had left on the bus. So all of their belongings that were left on the bus were obviously in evidence now. So I think that was pretty stand up of Greyhound to do that.
1: Not, That's actually really good. Yeah.
2: Not only did they, you know, they obviously wanted to get them to safety to see their loved ones, because at this point, all of Canada knew what had happened, and people knew their loved ones were on that bus. How did I not know this happened? I don't know,
1: but it is the,
2: the whole. There's a whole documentary on it, and it's very, very sad.
1: Yeah. This is crazy.
2: Finally, at 3.30 p.m., the passengers arrived in Winnipeg and were met by worried family members and friends. I bet the news of the incident spread fast, and all those who loved had loved ones on the bus 1170 were worried sick. Let's take a minute to play a little um, witness account, just so you guys can really hear how profound, guys.
3: Well, I was sitting on the bus, and we just got left town of Brendan, and... We were watching Zorro, and next thing I know, I hear somebody scream, and I look back, and there's some big guy holding this little fella up against, like, between the bathroom door and the seat, and he was moving. It kind of looked like a fight, but somebody said a knife, so we all run off the bus. He was getting stabbed. So I'm making sure everybody's okay right outside, and these other guys are containing the door. Then... They went back on the bus and come off the bus and told everybody to get back because they thought he was coming out. His hand come out the door with the knife, looked like it was trying to cut through. He went back on the bus, and then they braced the door, and he come back. Uh, standing in the doorway was the head. Looked at him, dropped the head, went back, and started cutting Buddy back up, right? Oh, my God. So I'm a, I, they make us leave and go up by the tractor-trailer, and I'm standing by the tractor-trailer, and it's starting to get dark, and the cops are there, and uh, he, he comes up, and he picks the head up, and he's waving it in the window. I just smoked a cigarette with this man earlier, right, the, the head he's shaking it back and forth at the window and it's very intense right it's sickening and i was just making sure i wasn't worried about myself at the time i was just worried about everybody else being okay right so you'd smoked a cigarette with the victim yeah tell me about him what was he I, i never really took the time to get to know him but he seemed to be okay right just a kid like how old would you figure between 18 and 22 but he didn't look that old he'd gotten on the bus in Brandon? No, uh, I do believe he got on in Edmonton. Okay. And, um, uh he a uh, uh, quiet fella? Well, he seemed to be alright. He was... He liked to talk, I guess, but I really didn't take the time to get to know him in a rush, right? What'd you talk about? I don't know, just how the day was. I, I'm not really sure. You've seen something that I don't think a handful of people in the whole world have seen. Tell me... Tell me what it's like to see a, a, a man who's just killed somebody holding up the humans. I That's disturbing. <laughs> I laid down in bed that night. Tonight at about 4 o'clock, I thought I'd go to sleep for an hour because I've been up just stressing, right? Making sure everybody's all right. And uh, I closed my eyes, and I seen him in the window there just like a madman he i couldn't see really what his face looked like but he was wearing a black shirt and he was a tank right holding his head up in the window like he's right in his right mind taunting the cops with it and i was like oh yeah really but it was just disturbing I, and there's children and old ladies like older senior citizens and stuff that was on that bus i'm not worried about myself i gotta worry about them right and, and the police uh, showed up fairly quickly oh, yeah they were they were pretty quick I'm not sure how long fifteen, twenty minutes maybe, but that's quite a little hike away. That's half that's an hour road to town. I'm not really sure how long it was, but long they got there quicker than what I thought they'd be there. what are you what are you feeling right now? what, what I mean, this is a few hours now and you've had a time to get a coffee and you can't be relaxed, but how are you feeling? for the family of the young feller, I feel sad for the people that's in here because th- not very many people ever see somebody be decapitated, right? Or experience what we've experienced because we were just going home and going to a vacation or whatever and somebody got murdered on our bus that we could have probably talked to and not know it, right? What if we sat next to him?
1: That is insane. It puts...
2: I think when you hear from a, an actual witness who saw what went on, it makes it so much, it's more impactful, you know, and you can tell he's still in shock in that interview. You know, one of the things that I hate
1: though, is the reporter, tell us, tell us, how do you feel? Yeah. This guy's like, the dude just put up an innocent person's head and was dangling. How do you think I feel? I know you
2: have a, uh, I've had a coffee. But how do you feel? It's like oh, okay, a coffee's not going to make it. this Ugh. poor man probably has nightmares still to oh my this God. day.
1: For the rest of his life.
2: So I think we should hear a bit more about Vince and what could have happened to him.
1: I think we need him to
2: to have done such a horrible thing for no reason, right? He didn't yeah. know this guy from a hole in the wall. I'm going to try my best with this and these names, guys. So Vincent Wig Ong Lee was born on April 30th, 1968 in Dan, Dandong, Liaoning, China. Messed that up, so sorry. In 1992, Vince successfully graduated with a bachelor's degree in computer um in computers from Wuhan Institute of Technology. He worked in Beijing as a computer software engineer from 1994 to 1998. Vince moved to Canada in 2001 and became a citizen in 2006. Shortly before he became a Canadian citizen, he was hospitalized for mental issues. So this hmm. this you know goes back. Police found him wandering around saying he was quote following the sun. He said that God had personally instructed him to do so. So clearly we are seeing this man is mentally has the mental things going on. Around this time, he married a girl named Anna and worked at Grant Memorial Church doing odd jobs. He was there for about six months. Everyone he worked with said he seemed happy, even though there was quite a language barrier. He quit the job at the church in 2006 to become a forklift operator. But shortly after, he moved by himself to Edmonton. Reports say Anna moved along with him later. So I don't know if they were separated because of the job or if maybe... There were some things going on in their marriage because he clearly or both. Ha- had some stuff going on, right? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe she had a job she needed to finish.
1: Maybe, yeah. It could be a multitude of different things could, here.
2: Could be, yeah. He worked at a variety of different jobs leading up to murdering Tim on the bus. He got fired from Walmart shortly before the attack. I couldn't find out why, but again, everyone that worked with him said he seemed normal. He mm-hmm. was just quiet, you know. I don't know. It sounds like other than the stint in the Institute, Vince was just walking around dealing with his mental issues under the radar. I'm wondering if the language barrier had something to do with that. After all, he didn't have many loved ones around at all, just his wife. Hmm. So Vince's trial started March 3rd, 2009. He pleaded insanity to the charges against him. He told his psychiatrist that God told him to, that that God told him to, um, and that he was evil. During his trial, he asked to be killed three times. I'm wondering by this time, he was probably in the correct cocktail of medications to suppress his psychotic thoughts. Dealing with what he did clear-minded must have caused him to want to die. That would be too much. Yeah. Vince was found not guilty for reasons of insanity, but no one was ready to send him back out to public. He clearly needed intense psychiatric attention. Vince was sent to the Selkirk Mental Health Center where he stayed for six years getting released to a supervised group home in 2015. While he was in the hospital, anger and more sadness invoked. He was sued by more than one passenger that was on the bus, along with a lawsuit from Tim McLean's family. Good. Good, but I would feel the same way, okay? But this man is clearly sick. He was sick. It's not like he was a psychotic Oh, no, 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 that's not the word I want to use. It's not like he was a criminal that tried to steal from Tim and then killed him out of anger.
1: I get that. But at the end of the day, and maybe I'm a jerk for saying it this way, I don't care.
2: As if, if it was as my family member, it, I
1: wouldn't care either. If it was my family member. I agree. Yeah. I don't care. I agree. They took my family member exactly. away It's hard,
2: It's hard. I can kind of separate from it because it's not my family member, even as horrific as it is, yeah. as it is you know. Um, these were obviously civil suits since he was found not guilty in the court of law. Tim's family also sued Greyhound for $150,000 against the Attorney General of Canada as he is the Chief of Legal Advisor to the Government of Canada. They were Why? Out, They were out for blood, for sure, and wanted as many people to pay for Tim's horrific death as possible. See,
1: now this is where I draw the line. Do you know what pisses me off more than anything in the whole wide world is people who just go out Willy nilly and sue people for nothing. Yeah, and I'm not saying this is for nothing, but what a greyhound have to do here? Dude,
2: right, so he has a that question. That is the same
1: thing. I get drunk at a bar and I jump into a Ford pickup truck and I get in an accident, and now they're suing Ford.
2: Well, here's my thing. Has my question? I don't know the answer to this. When you when you get on a greyhound bus and now remember this is back in 2008, so it could be different now. They might have changed the laws because of this. Do you, do you have to go through a metal detector? I don't know. All right. So are they thinking they're liable because he had that knife on them and they should have, he shouldn't have gotten on a bus with a knife? I don't know. Right?
1: Yeah, but I could be moving. I could have knives in my backpack. I could be. Yeah, but think about it. You get on a plane, you can't go on with a knife in your backpack. Different. So that's TSA. That's federal guidelines. There's no federal guidelines yeah. for riding on the I don't, bus. See, I
2: don't know. I, 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 That's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, Is that no, I they're what mad because he had a, had a knife on him. I don't know what the laws were back then.
1: I don't either. Sue the th- people that actually did it. Right. I'm all for that.
2: On July 17th, 2014, the Toronto Sun reported that Corporal Ken Barker, one of the officers first on the scene, committed suicide. Oh, his family stated that he suffered from PTSD. Of course he did. Um, while in the facility, Vince learned that he had been suffering from schizophrenia for years. He was working hard with doctors and getting regulated on medications to keep his condition at bay. He was learning how to live with the dis- with the disorder. He has continued to say he can never forget the Greyhound bus. He also doesn't think he can ever find happiness due to his actions on that day. He is said to have severe guilt and remorse for his actions. In 2016, Vince changed his name for obvious reasons and was hoping to finally leave the group home and live on his own. He was allowed to do so on February 10th, 2017. How did this happen? How did a man with such severe mental issues fall through the cracks? Right. Could this tragedy have been averted? I found a Canadian article written in 2009. The publication is The Globe and Mail. The article sheds a little light on how Vince may have slipped through. It's been said that Vince was always a quiet man that kept to himself. But moving to Canada in 2001 with his wife, Anna, not being able to speak the language made any mental issues he had already had a lot worse. It escalated, and by 2004, Anna became really concerned about him. See, this is where I start getting angry as I read on, and you will too. You
1: got my attention.
2: She reported he was acting weird. He had stopped sleeping and was eating at random times. She said he was very emotional and kept saying he was talking to God. She assumed he was uh, sleep deprived. So she went to the store and got him some sleeping pills. Friends of the couple advised him to seek medical help. Anna was apprehensive due to difficulties conversing. So she was concerned because of the language barrier that she wouldn't. I think she was afraid they would take her husband and just lock him up, which was a possibility, right? Yeah. Vince didn't want to be known as the guy with the mental problems and what that stigma might bring. Anna loved Vince very much. She would take days off of work when he was having difficult days. She even tried to get his parents to convince him to go to a doctor when he visited them in China in 2005. He continued to think he heard God command him to do tasks. He could hear his voice telling him once to go buy land in Canada, even though he didn't have any money. Then telling him, "Mm, just turn around and go home. He was doing whatever God asked him to do. Or what he, who we thought God was telling him to do. At one point, police found him walking around confused, talking about God, uh, talking to him. He was take, taken for medical attention. A doctor noticed he was extremely sleep deprived. And it was at that time he got the schizophrenia diagnosis. So he even was diagnosed. He was also given medicine to help. And at the time, um, he was put on a legal 14-day hold. Great, right? Yeah. Doctors were afraid he might hurt himself or someone else unfortunately, somehow, he was able to leave after only 10 days. Don't know how that happened, but maybe if he had stayed the full time, I don't know. That's a
1: possibility.
2: Vince went home to Anna, apparently looking like he had been living on the streets. So he was released somehow. Nobody knows how he was. He was wandering about. Apparently, it looked as if he had been living on the streets for a while. Nobody really knew where he was until he just showed up at his home. Yeah. He took another trip to China in 2007. There, a doctor supposedly cleared him of any mental issues. He just went back to Anna living in Canada, ignoring his mental issues altogether. July of 2008, Vince left the home, leaving Anna a note that said, quote, don't look for me. I wish you were happy. So clearly he knew that he was causing great stress on her. That's my thought with that note. He figured if he just left her then she wouldn't have to deal with what he entailed anymore.
1: I get it. You know, just, uh,
2: she didn't hear anything about where he was until the horrible day on July 30th, 2008. Vince's story is so sad in of itself. If he had just been receptive to getting mental health or had more been done to help him, Tim McLean would still be alive. Right. I I don't agree. It's again, it's, it's, we, People with mental health slip through the cracks, and it, it, we hear this all the time.
1: It's unfortunate.
2: Let's end this story by talking a little bit about Tim McLean, the victim of the story. So the real the, the, the real victim of the story, there was many victims, but the, the one victim that lost his life. Timothy Richard McLean was born on October 3rd, 1985 in Winnipeg, Manitoba. I couldn't find too much about his childhood, but I did find a few articles that talked about what kind of person he was. This info came from CBC News. There is a memorial beside the Trans-Canada Highway where the Greyhound bus pulled off the road on that horrible day. It is a white cross with Tim's name on it. It also says, quote, I think of you always, son. Love, dad. Tim's mother, Carol, said, when this very first happened for weeks and weeks, I was just mad. Nothing changed for anybody else. The traffic still went, the sun still shone, and it was so maddening to me that the whole world didn't just stop. Mine did. It stopped and it took a long time to really want to get up every day. Tim's father, Tim Sr., who has been divorced from his mother, Carol, for quite some time, also struggles with his son's death, understandably so. He had this to say. We're trying to move on, but it's very hard, still very hard. I don't think we'll ever be over it. He got a tattoo of his son's face over his heart. Mm. So guys, Tim was only five foot five and 125 pounds. He was a he was a tiny person. Oh, wow. Okay. He didn't finish high school because you said he
1: was in his early twenties.
2: Early twenties, oh. twenty-two, I believe, at his death. He didn't finish high school because he wanted to travel around. That's exactly what he did. He had a love for tattoos and was happy to show his friends and family when he got a new one. Even though he had a permanent address, he was very close with his friends and would often stay at their houses for three months at a time in between his traveling. So it sounds like he had a very, a very good connection with his friends and his friends obviously loved him and would love to spend time with him in between his traveling around with different, you know, carnivals and the such. Yep. Friends described him as a f- warm, fun-loving, free spirit who attracted people to him with his energy. Alex McLean, Tim's uncle, had a few things to say to CTV News. Quote, he was a little guy with a big heart. He made friends effortlessly, disliked no one, and accepted everyone for who they were. Hmm. Tim's friend Colleen Yestra, the mother of his son, said, he was just an all-around great guy. He was never in a bad mood. He always liked to have fun. No one can ever replace him. Tim was one of a kind. Five months after Tim died, on December 21st, 2008, Colleen gave birth to his son. A custody war began between Colleen and Tim's mother. Carol won full custody of the boy in 2018. Of course. Carol says her grandson is a gift from God. For reasons not fully known, this is sad, guys, Tim Sr. hasn't seen his grandson since 2018. Sounds like there are some family dynamics going on that we don't know about. Yeah. Carol has become an advocate for change in Canada due to her son's death. She believes Vince should never have been let out of the institution. She had this to say reported by CBC. Quote, I'm grateful that Timothy's death has shed light on the issue. I'm thankful thankful for all the messages of love and support. I pray everyone now takes it step further. Contact your local elected officials. It's time for all people to take care of each other or what kind of world we're Are we living in uh, leaving for our children? Sorry. I'm one voice. I used it. Please use yours. End quote. Tim McLean's death, uh, along with Vince Lee's release into society, got people talking. After all, what if Vince goes rogue and stops taking his medicine? Could he become violent again? I guess these are questions hard to answer. Uh John Stepanek, chair of the Criminal Code Review Board, had this to say. Quote. We receive evidence from the accused patient's treatment team that represent a range of expertise. They are generally psychiatrists. Sometimes they are community forensic mental health workers, social workers, sometimes from family members, sometimes from the individuals themselves. And we weigh the evidence. We weigh all the material that they have on their files, medical reports, psychiatric, psychiatric reports, psychologist reports, and all that goes into the making of the decision. This is. This guys is a tough situation to unpack. I can understand why Tim's mother took issue with this. However, Vince was a very sick man at the time um, that he went through his trial, and he did his time. He did what they gave him. So, yeah. I, I mean, if honestly, if I was Tim's mother, I would not want him. I, I would say you need to be in a, a, a mental institution for the rest of your life. I would because I, I'd yep. be afraid. So, yes, when he's on his medication, he's totally a law-abiding citizen, does everything he needs to do, would never hurt a fly. But clearly, he, if he comes off his medication, he can become extremely dangerous to himself and clearly to other people.
1: You know, and that happens easier than I think people understand. When people I come off that I take. Every single day. Yeah. And I forget it all the time.
2: So here's my thing. I mean, it, it happens and he's now fully released. Okay. Mm. So before he was being monitored when he was in the group, group home, I'm not, I don't know what the upkeep to that is. Is it continued monitoring for the rest of his life or is he considered he, he got healthy and did his time. It's just so sad, right? Cause
1: if he's been released and he doesn't have any thing that holds him liable to the system, I right. think he's, he's free. Yes, yeah. I don't know. But at the end of the day, if we didn't want him to be, then we should have charged him well, accordingly.
2: And that's why Tim's mother has become such an advocate in Canada to see if she wants the laws to be changed because she's she's, you she know, cares. she cares. And, you know, I don't know where uh. Vince in his new I don't know. I didn't say what his new name was for privacy re- reasons. Um, what if the what if he lives nearby and she sees him? That would just be trigger a whole new I don't know. It's just such a senseless, scary Oh, guys. Watch the documentary. It's well, only watch it if you have a don't have a weak stomach. That's all I'm gonna say.
1: I might watch it because this does sound interesting. It's very
2: interesting and it it shows the the worst of what mental health can make somebody
1: do. See he did it again. You found another case that I was not even aware of. Shocking.
2: (laughs) I think we might have like a
1: ton. little laugh is the best.
2: (laughs) I think we might have another older timeline case coming up soon. Excellent. Yeah, right? I think we, we need to revisit. Sure.
1: I'm always down.
2: Yeah, I agree.
1: All right. We'll see you guys on the next one. Bye, guys. See you later.